0: So always a good start of a weekend when both LSU and AM win their games. So we're off to a good start. We hope the Saints will do the same. Um, really quickly, I want to touch on the gospel to make sure we, we get the main message of the gospel and then go into some other themes. But um, our Lord tells that story of here's how it really is. You look at yourselves and ourselves and our, our struggles, you know, you and you, you and your brother have this issue between the two of you, you and your enemy. Anybody have a a brother or a sister that drives you crazy, like a lot, right? Thank you, very honest. Okay, yes, it's real. It's kind of funny when both siblings raise their hands. But anyway, we have that issue, and Peter asked the question that we could all ask. How many times do I have to forgive this aggravating brother that you gave me? And our Lord goes into it. He actually doesn't give a, I mean, he does give a number, seven times, 70 times, so exactly 490. When you reach that one, you're, that's not the point. Um, there's a bigger story. And our Lord says, this is how it is in my kingdom. And he shares and reminds us that even though between me and my enemy, the two of us might have have some some petty stuff that we're working out, or we think it's some pretty serious stuff that we're in enmity about. We we don't talk to each other. We're angry. We're trying to forgive, but it's really frustrating. And our Lord kind of says like, You could work, you could like exact every debt from your enemy. You could exact every debt from your brother. You could make him pay back everything he owes you. But the real story is between you and me, there's a huge debt there. And if you're going to worry about the peanuts your brother owes you, then I'm going to hold you accountable to the mountains that you owe me. So better letting go of the debt that your brother owes you so that I let go of your debt. And so it will be. If you don't forgive your brother, nor will I forgive you. That's how he ends it. But that's the bigger picture that is not just between me and my brother. It's also between me and God that explains why forgiveness is so important. But I say that, and I want to transition because the whole liturgy today seems to focus, like we said, on, on anger. I love this line from Sirach. Anger, or the sin of anger, is a hateful thing, yet the sinner hugs it tightly. We just hold on to it. And I'd like to broaden it from just anger against someone who hurts me, like I'm angry at my offender, to just a general sense today. There's, there's a lot of anger or frustration, or how I react when, when something does, someone does something that ruins my plans, or changes my plans, or life happens, and I just can't handle it. And that internal exasperation... We can focus on that kind of anger, frustration, exasperation, that need for control, when I don't have control. And why it's so hard to let that go. It says, the sinner hugs it tightly. Why do we do that? And what does our Lord want to guide us in handling that better? So we'll go into that. Unfortunately, I was, I was watching or having flashbacks to the movie Frozen and Frozen 2, so we'll see how this pans out. But anyway, I just feel like there, there is so much anger and, and frustration. We're angry at, at, obviously, our enemies. We're angry sometimes at our, ourselves, right? The mistake I made yesterday or two weeks ago, or the fact that I didn't get the promotion because I failed at something, I hold on to that. We're angry at society. We're angry about social issues. We're angry at what we see on the news. We're angry at Fox News. We're angry at CNN. We're angry at this political party or that political party. We're angry at the referee. Poor guy. Never gets off the hook. Or we're angry at God. Or we're angry at the church, the archdiocese. A lot of anger sometimes. A lot of frustration when things are not going the way we think they need to go. We're angry at my teacher. Angry at my insurance policy. A lot of anger, a lot of struggle, a lot of frustration. Even in the movie, like, the movie opens with like, what can you hold on to when everything seems to be changing? I was frozen too. And even Olaf gets angry when Elsa kind of disses he and Anna a little bit. Like, I knew 2020 was going to be a bad year when even your favorite snowman got angry. he was struggling. How do you control that anger? What do I do with this feeling that I have? It was the first time feeling anger a little footnote that um, I think even Hanville is doing the play Frozen. They won a a beautiful contest celebrating diversity but it's going to be a great thing coming up I think in the next few weeks at Hanville. I love Olaf's line yet change mocks us with her beauty. It's great. We struggle with handling those things. So there's a lot of this and what are we supposed to do with all that? How are we supposed to handle that? Of course the liturgy would remind us that We're made in God's image and lightness, even though we're kind of broken. God, our model, he's slow to anger and rich in compassion. Do I reflect that? Let's face it, God God had a beautiful plan and a beautiful creation. Ask God how many times God got his way in your life. A lot of times I got my way over God's way. And did I get, raise your hand if you got struck by lightning the last time you sinned. Anybody? It doesn't happen! He doesn't seem to react that way. He seems to be really full of compassion, patience, second and third and fourth and fifth and 6,000th chances for me. That's amazing. And I just want to offer maybe three attitudes we can cultivate, cultivate or three ways we can cope better perhaps in moments of frustration, anger, exasperation. That we, as a sinner, we want to hold on to it tightly and not let it go. So my first advice, taken from Frozen, let it go. Let it go. Stop feeding it. Stop feeding it. If you're angry at what your friend did to you, your spouse did to you a week ago, or three days ago, or two hours ago, in the big picture of things, do you love your spouse? Does your spouse love you? Are they still with you after so many years? Let it go. Stop thinking about it. Stop listing all the times. Okay, there was this day, but then there was also these other 20 times. Stop. Or maybe myself, right? I messed up yesterday or last week, and I can't let it go. I didn't make the team, and I'm kicking myself. Not for hours, but for like weeks, or sometimes years. And I can't turn it off. I can't let it go. I'm mad at a relationship situation, I'm mad at this, I'm mad at that. My boyfriend broke up with me or whatever. So what do I do? I listen to country music that tells me all about how terrible that... Or I watch Hallmark movies. That's just like adding gasoline, like don't do that! Don't! Cultivate it! Let it go! Cut it off! Stop feeding it! If the news is driving you crazy with all the terrible things that it's showing you that are happening in this country or some other country or Siberia or Antarctica. Maybe, I don't know what happens in Antarctica. But stop watching the news a little bit. Just cut it off. Look, sometimes we give these other things or other people so much control over our lives, our interior. No one should control your interior. Why do you let your whole day be ruined? 24 hours ruined over something that literally took two minutes in the morning. And the rest of your day is ruined because of whatever that was. Why do you give that authority over your interior to someone else? Don't do that. Stop feeding it. Your soul, our minds, our hearts, our temples of God's love, God's joy, God's peace. We don't have the right to pollute that temple with so much negativity. Cut it off. Stop thinking about it. Stop feeding it. I do think very often our Lord does, when we go down those whirlpools of negativity and negative thinking about how bad things are, how awful I feel, or how mean so-and-so was, or how unfair the situation was, or why my teacher should have done this, or why I should have said this other thing instead of what I actually said. We go down those whirlpools. I think God really does send life preservers into the whirlpool if we would just choose to grab them. Of course, that's our fault if we don't. Like, for example, sometimes out of the blue, your friend may call you when you're in a rough spot. They didn't really know it. They just called you and said, hey, we're, the group of us are going out to dinner. Why don't you come with us? And your answer is, you know, I'm good. Y'all go have a good time. I'll I'm, be I'm okay, okay. No, we we'll go with them. Get out of the world. We'll get out of the cycle. Throw yourself into someone else. Be a gift for them instead of wallowing in self-pity. Because what does St. Paul say? We don't live for ourselves. Don't take myself and my problems that seriously. They can crush me if I let them. Let them go. Stop feeding them. So that's the first part. First suggestion. Second one. Focus on what I can change. Focus on what I can control. That's right in front of me. Stop replaying the replay the game's still going and get into the moment now and focus on what I have right in front of me right now to make that difference. I'll read to you something that someone else wrote. It's kind of dark but actually has a, a light at the end of it. I've seen dark before. This is somebody who went through a really rough change, lost someone and just really struggled. I've seen dark before but not like this. This is cold. This is empty. This is numb. I'm smiling. Somebody might pick up on this. The life I knew is over. The lights are out. Hello, darkness. I'm ready to succumb. Can there be a day beyond this night? I don't know anymore what is true. I can't find my direction. I'm all alone. But a tiny voice whispers in my mind You are lost. Hope is gone. But you must go on. Just What? What? Do the next right thing. Take a step. Step again. It is all that I can to do the next right thing. I won't look too far ahead. It's too much for me to take. But break it down to this next breath. This next step. This next choice is one that I can make. And with the dawn, what comes then? When it is clear that everything will never be the same again. Okay, you got to watch the movie. Sorry, frozen (laughs) tube. Anyway, then I'll make the choice to hear that voice and do the next right thing. Because sometimes that's all you got. Focus on what you can do, what you can control. First of all, always, when you're facing those situations, pray, because that's always something you can do. So do it. Bring it to God. We get frustrated with our political situation sometimes, or the social situation in society, and and we're like, oh my gosh, why doesn't doesn't this happen? Well, all you can do is vote, so vote and get it out of your head because there's nothing else you can do. Stop thinking about it and do something which you can do. We get caught up in in what so-and-so did to me. Well, have I even talked to the person? Have Have I even tried to address the situation? I mean, I went to Facebook and gossiped with my friends about it, but did I actually approach the person who hurt me and try to hash out what happened? Well, if I can't change the person who's hurting me or the situation was out of my control, I can't change my spouse, can't change my brother, who can I change? Right here, I can change me. That I can change. Focus on that. I lost something, something was taken from me, I didn't get what I was hoping for, the toy that I wanted went to my friend instead of me, I can focus on what I don't have, or I can focus on all that I do have. Because I have a lot. I can change my focus. There's a moment in the movie where they've kind of been like evacuated from their city because of whatever earthquake, and Olaf is, is with the little kids. And he says, this is called controlling what you can when you feel like everything's out of control. It's a great lesson for us. When you can't control things that are hurting, you try to focus on what you can control. When you can't control life's unfairness, you let go of your need for fairness and you focus on what you can make a little better right in front of you. So stop feeding it. Focus on what I can control, what I can change, what I can heal. And then lastly, going right to the gospel message, replace that need for control, that need for fairness or justice or or vengeance or equality, whatever, replace that with compassion. Rich in compassion. Slow to anger, slow to controlling, and rather swift in compassion, in love, in mercy. Give the person or the situation the benefit of the doubt. Raise your hand if you've ever received a text message that really made you angry. Anybody ever received a text message that really made you so upset? Or an email? You could, could, if you want to, reply right, right away with all that anger into that text message and just kill the person through the text message. Or you could stop, give the benefit of the doubt, and say, maybe this person was thinking something a little different when they wrote those particular words. Why don't I call and find out? Or just let it go anyway. The benefit of the doubt in all of our relationships. The way God has given me the benefit of the doubt so many times, right? Father, forgive them. He knew not what he was doing. Yes, I knew what I was doing. But he gives me the benefit of the doubt. Sometimes we're so angry at the church for this reason or that reason or this teaching or that teaching. Have I ever actually read the teaching itself? Actually, what is is taught there? Because it would make a big difference if I actually knew the actual description and the full context when the church teaches things that sometimes are hard for us in our brokenness. But do we give the church the benefit of the doubt? Not really. In our moments of anger, we say, well, I don't know, like, so-and-so that doesn't, doesn't deserve mercy. Well, that's actually the point. If you deserved it, it wouldn't be mercy. Mercy is given something that's not deserved. Justice is about what's deserved. Mercy is about giving Beyond that. And it's important to realize it's not that that person that I forgive in those cases where it's a matter of someone else, I forgive them. They're not necessarily off the hook. Because again, it's important to realize this is all about the bigger context where God is in control when I'm not. God does get justice when I don't. So, forgiveness, like Jesus said, it's not so much that me and my friend, we're not going to figure it out between ourselves and each one get to hit the other so that we're equal. It's rather realizing that. I owe God... Let's imagine you owe God $6 million. And your friend or your enemy owes, stole from you $1,000. Well, what if you get your way and your friend pays you $1,000? What are you doing with that $1,000 right away? You're paying it to God because you owe him $6 million. So God just says, get rid of the middleman, yourself. You don't need that debt paid back to you because let me handle it. It's owed to me anyway. And I will handle it. Your, friend, your enemy's not off the hook. But justice... God says, is the Lord's, not yours. Let me handle it. Let me have it. Forward your debt, the debt owed to you, to me. And you will receive my recompense. So that's what we're trying to do, is is just allowing us to, to, to be bathed in so many ways that Yes, it's true, we receive things that are not deserved in this life, but God has given me so many blessings and good things that were not deserved. And I could, if I wanted to, focus on the things that were done to me wrongly that were not deserved, or I could fill my mind, heart, and life with so many good things that were given to me that were not deserved. And in turn, return that from that store of goodness, give that to my enemy. Let that change the cycle. Look, God, let's face the full story, right? Like, imagine you're God and someone hurts you and you just know that he did this, so he deserves this, this, and this. I'm going to hit him. I'm going to take from him. I'm going to do to him what is owed. Imagine all that pain that you were going to inflict on that person. And God, who was due to inflict the punishment, in turn, got in front of the punishment and took it himself. Like the Son of God suffered in my place. I'll swallow the debt. I will take the hit." So we do that when others hurt us or life hurts us. Just get in the way because it's about love, not, not fairness in that sense. It's a greater picture of how much we've been loved and how much we are called to love, not other things. So moving forward in our celebration, we're going to pray that prayer that we pray so often, the Our Father, we do pray that His kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven, where there's a lot of love and mercy and harmony. We say, forgive us our trespasses, what? As we forgive those who trespass against us. We do live in a society which is so tit-for-tat. You know, you did this to me, some did this to you. In our personal lives, in our, our communities, our families, sometimes in our global society, one of the petitions today is about praying for the Middle East. And that's just a history of like, one person, one group does one thing to another group, and then the tribe, one against the other, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Not for one year. For like, you know, 60, 80, 90, 100 years of war. Because nobody is going to sit there and return love and forgiveness for hatred and attack. We don't know how to do that. And our Lord is revealing to us if we would listen, hey, there's a secret out of that cycle if you want to know it. There's a secret out of the whirlpool if you want to discover it. I'm sharing it with you. We want to get out of that cycle. In the brokenness and and, and tension and anger and and hate and wrath and, and anxiety in our hearts, we want to go to the source of God's mercy. Go to confession. Bring it there. For the healing that comes from that. I don't know if I said this earlier, but like, it's true. Like, Seven times, seventy times, you're supposed to forgive your brother or sister who hurts you. But it's important to realize, God has forgiven me. A lot more than seven times, seventy times. And I need to experience that in the confessional. It needs to be real for me. That I'm there again for the third time this week, for the 20,000th time in my life, and I still got mercy. The priest never said, oh, you're out of (laughs) Too many times. Go away. Your, your, Your license to confession has expired. It's always open. And there's always more mercy from him. Why should it not be that way with you and me? Towards one another and even towards ourselves. The benefit of the doubt. More second chances, third chances, fifth chances, twenty thousands ch- chances to my sibling, the person at work, the person at church, the person at school, the person who aggravates me, whatever it is, our Lord is challenging us right there. This is actually one of the hardest teachings of the church. We get caught up on some of the other ones. This one's hard, but it's a central teaching of love and mercy. We're going to pray in the Mass. The rest of the Mass is is really focused on reconciling ourselves, asking the Holy Spirit to remove the things that estrange us from one another. We pray for that healing. In your personal life, in your family life, in our society, let us really pray for God to do the miracle that we know we need to do, but can't do it ourselves without Him. Amen. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph.